0: We are grateful today to be able to chat with Bishop Joseph Williams, our auxiliary bishop who's been learning the ropes of the Episcopacy this past year. No easy feat, I'm sure. From being a key player in the Synod Executive Team to pastoring Our Lady of Guadalupe Parish in St. Paul, Bishop Williams is a faithful and busy shepherd. Bishop, thank you for taking some time to chat with us today, and we're looking forward to hearing about how this past year has been for you. Welcome.
1: Patrick, thank you. Happy to be here.
0: Well, you recently did celebrate your one anniversary as bishop. Happy anniversary to you. And uh, how has it been? Has it been a fast year? Has it gone quicker than you expected?
1: It has. You know, it's been something of a whirlwind. We had an Archdiocesan Catholic Center staff meeting a couple of weeks ago, and Father Bamanek reminded me that I was ordained on January 25th, Feast of the Conversion of St. Paul. The next morning I had a three-hour Zoom meeting on the Feast of Timothy and Titus, January 26th. So jumped two feet right into the the synod process, but it has been, um, I feel blessed. I feel comfortable in the Episcopal office and, uh, I feel supported by, by, by people's prayers to be, to be honest.
0: Well, absolutely. I'm sure you have them. No, no question whatsoever about that. As we look, as you look back on the past year, uh, it's been a, a, as a flurry of activities. I'm sure you've done thousands of different things uh, as, a, as a new bishop, and all the things that are, are were already on your plate, and as you continue to take on more and more. But any moments come to mind first? Any favorite things that have happened in the past year?
1: You know, Patrick. The week before last, I Catholic Schools Week, we celebrated. I was at. Uh, St. Henry's and Monticello, celebrating a mass for Holy Spirit Academy and their their students. And being in that part of the world, I got to see Deacon John Rumpsa, who is just a wonderful uh, transitional deacon, should be ordained a priest this coming spring. And it reminded me of my first uniquely Episcopal act, which happened this past May when I ordained uh, three young men to the transitional uh, diaconate. And so, of course, you know, we think of confirmations with bishops, but confirmations can be delegated to priests at the parish, etc. And so there's there's very few uniquely Episcopal acts that only bishops can do, and that was my first. And it was a, a gorgeous spring morning. The, the, the apple trees were blossoming, the sun was shining, and Archbishop Hebda allowed me the grace of... Um, of celebrating that so early in my, in my, uh, episcopacy. So it was, and, and seeing how well he's doing, how much the people love him. I think it worked. I think it Very was valid, good. licit and fruitful.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's rare that you get all three in. <laughs> well, we, right, are, right. we are grateful that, uh, that you are enjoying that as well. How about um, not to cast a shadow over it, but any challenges that were maybe unexpected in the past year? Anything that surprised you, challenge-wise?
1: You know, um, like I said, I, I feel I feel I belong where the Lord has called me, and that has everything to do with His grace, of course, and the people's prayers. Um, it has been a joy to celebrate confirmations. It has been been a joy to um, to be at the the forefront of synod leadership. Uh, one of the challenges is is being a pastor. You mentioned that at the very beginning. I'm a co-pastor at Our Lady of Guadalupe, and it's that balance of life that that will be a challenge. Um, Bishop Cousins um, he was rector for a time, but didn't didn't have a parish assignment, and so parish life, especially bilingual parish life, can be consuming. So just just making sure that I'm, um, yeah, trusting and walking closely with my co-pastor, Father James Bernard, who's been awesome this past year I just feel so grateful to be to be working with him and that the lord and the archbishop had sent him to help me and the people there and um, but yeah living that balance of life and and you know i think most of all it's it's managing people's expectations i think they were used to bishop cousins who is just holy generous available and being limited in what i can do because of of a different Job description at the ACC here at the, or the Archdiocese, and being a parish priest, it's hard to say no at times, and so that's been uh, um, maybe maybe the, the the most significant challenge this past year.
0: I think most of our listeners are probably aware of how difficult it is to say no. And I can only imagine uh, what it must be like sitting in your seat and in your chair as a bishop, um, that there are many, many opportunities that come your way that you just simply have to turn down. And speaking of which, we know you to be a man of deep prayer, and we are grateful for that, of course. Um, We look to that in all of our shepherds. But any specific ways that you guard your prayer time? Does it look different now than it did a year ago?
1: Great question, Patrick. You know, um, I was inspired as a young priest because this is not unique to, to priests or, 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 or bishops or priests or even, even lay people. There, there's a battle to be as opposed to do um, constantly. And as a young priest, being at the cathedral, being very apostolic at that point, loving prayer as well, I realized, boy, this is a, a challenge. And reading... Uh, Pope John Paul II's biography, Witness to Hope, there's a part in there that that described his day. And and I was reading it while I was on a pilgrimage in Italy. And I think it was in Assisi when I read the chapter when it talked about his um, orarium or his daily schedule. Mm-hmm. And I realized he doesn't have an appointment until 11.30 a.m. because he does his mass and then he takes an hour and a half that he reserves for reading and writing, which is really a big part of his charism. And thank God he cultivated that. And I realized, boy, if the if the universal pastor can can be disciplined to take that morning time, as Pope Benedict says, to go up the mountain heights of Zion and to graze there on biblical study and lectio divina, that became a part of my of my routine. So I've been fighting for that even as a bishop. It's harder um, to do it now. I, I did a, a beautiful retreat with Archbishop and the bishops of Region Eight. That's kind of how I celebrated my first year anniversary. That was in Florida a few weeks back, and beautiful setting. Uh, Archbishop Hughes, uh, Bishop uh, Emeritus of um, New Orleans in Louisiana, just preached a beautiful retreat. But in my prayer, uh, I felt a little admonition from the Lord. You know, I, I kind of asked for a grade on how my prayer life was. <laughs> I think I got a C, let's put it that way. <laughs> and so I I, I, I I accepted that and I said, you're right. I haven't done as well as a bishop as I was doing as a priest. And And then coming up with resolutions out of that retreat and and Archbishop Hughes was gracious enough to be to spiritual direct bishops that wanted to meet with him for an hour. And he said, he used a very interesting phrase. He says, for example, you have to ruthlessly defend your Sabbath day, which for me is Friday. Hmm. And boy, does that get e- that could be easy to fill up as well. But he used that word ruthless in defending that time with the Lord, the being with him, the rest that refreshes you to serve God's people. So obviously, he's had to, 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 lived through that in his own Episcopal life, and now here comes a younger, he's 90, 91 years old, and now a young bishop comes and he can give that wisdom. And it was very beautiful that that time with him.
0: That's a great piece of advice for all of us, as you say, but specifically I know for clergy that that's, uh, that's so necessary to say, Yes, I still need a Sabbath. I still need a day of rest, reflection, of focusing on the Lord. And uh, so great, great, uh, great practice, Bishop. We will pray that you're able to continue to do that. Let's take a look at the, uh, the Synod process. We've talked a lot about the Synod process, as you might imagine, here on Practicing Catholic. And, of course, it's led to the Archbishop's pastoral letter, You Will Be My Witnesses, gathered and sent from the upper room. And it's been the bedrock of our new Office of Synod Evangelization as well, which you're quite involved in. So what does your role, give us some idea of what your role looks like when it comes to the Synod and Synod implementation.
1: Well, Patrick, I discovered my role on December 10th at my press conference announcing that I was (laughs) going to be ordained a bishop. I had been called by Pope Francis (laughs) when at the end of that, uh, Archbishop Hebda says, "Yes, and he'll be in charge of the synod, which <laughs> I learned at that moment. <laughs> and knowing how monumental that project was, and that was in his mind and heart, as I suppose he discerned my own um, calling to be a bishop. That was uh, that was quite a surprise, but but quite um, quite dignifying. I, I shared with uh, the staff here at the archdiocese. I mean, he's put trust in me, you know, from the very beginning, and and I." I thank him for that trust. I thank God for that trust. And I feel the Lord has prepared me for this leadership. So many of the synod priorities, you know, whether it's, you know, missionary discipleship or moving the parish from maintenance to mission or youth and young adult, they've just been at the heart of what we've been trying to do in South Minneapolis. So I feel more than simply um, a leader, I can be a witness of what's possible, not just for, for a couple of parishes, but for the whole archdiocese. So it's been... It's been a thrill, and but I'm not alone. And this office that you mentioned, I, I thanked God this past year that Deacon Joe Maholic said yes to be the director of that all, uh, office. I think um, he's God's choice to, uh, for, for leadership here at the Archdiocese and in matters of synod. And he's jumped in as well, in spite of all of his obligations transitioning out of his current role as director of diaconate formation. He's just been amazing the way he, he builds relationships, the, the vision of sequential formation of the laity to go deeper and deeper and to keep taking steps because without that you the empowerment of the laity to be missionary disciples it it doesn't it's not as fruitful so i i I admire him father bamanick of course i think he's been on your show before joe bamanick works here in the office of synod evangelization he's the real workhorse of this operation let's just Hmm. put that out there right away he's he's humble he's generous and he just makes sure things get done in a timely way, in a professional manner, and he does everything with great faith and prayer. So the team that's being formed here, I think, bodes well for for something not simply bureaucratic, but truly fruitful, truly culture-changing for, for the archdiocese, and I, I'm excited about that.
0: Fantastic. Great to hear. Well, when it comes to those Synod evangelization teams as part of the Synod implementation process, these the Twelve, as they're called, um, we know that their role will be to lead evangelization efforts in our parishes. So just on a more uh, practical but theological uh I guess, attack on that. What, what does it mean to truly make informed disciples in our church today? You've talked about your experience with this during your time at St. Stephen and Holy Rosary in South Minneapolis there. So what does it mean to uh, to make informed disciples in our church, especially now in the 21st century?
1: Oh, wonderful question. You know, and the Archbishop addressed that you know head-on in his pastoral letter. It means, first of all, looking to Jesus and believing what he believed, that the harvest is abundant in our time as in Jesus' time, in Galilee and Judea and the surrounding countryside. And with that belief, um, we only need laborers to, to bring in that harvest. And so we look to Jesus who who and who chose those 12. He went up the mountain. He followed his own advice, prayed to the master of the harvest, he told his disciples. And then he he did that. He modeled that. He went up the mountain. He comes down and he calls those whom he desires, says St. Mark. And then he summons amongst the disciples those 12. So the model is the model of Jesus. And that's how we started at St. Stephen's and Holy Rosary and some other parishes that were bilingual. And and that those 12, I would say, Patrick, become the mustard seed of missionary renewal in the Catholic parish. It's not the end. It's the beginning. But we need to invest in them. We need as Pope Benedict says, never despise small beginnings. Uh, we begin with the 12, but it's going to blossom into the 72, God willing, very, very soon. But those 12 need a special calling, which they've now received from their pastors, a special formation, which is going to launch or just has launched in the in the school of discipleship, and then a special sending. All of these 12, when they finish that, um, that school, are going to be publicly liturgically commissioned. It's, a, it's an ecclesial act. To, to to work with their pastor to begin that, that renewal of their parish. So it's, it's, it's Jesus' way, and we just need the courage to, to follow in his footsteps, like the apostles did.
0: All right, very good. Only a couple minutes remaining here, Bishop, but uh, I did want to ask you specifically about um, those who weren't part of the Synod Evangelization team in their parish. What, is, what exactly is the pastoral letter asking of them, and what roles might they serve in when it comes to shaping our local church?
1: great question. You know, as, as I shared, the 12 is the mustard seed, and we're hoping by this fall that 12 turns into 72, as we hear about in Luke's gospel, that are likewise sent out, and these could be small group leaders, for example. So it won't be long until there's a multiplication of that apostolic leadership. So in, in the meantime, to be in prayer, the arch the Archbishop uh, um, used John. St. John the XXIII's prayer to inaugurate the Second Vatican Council, he adapted that as our archdiocesan evangelization prayer. Holy Spirit, renew your wonders in our own time as though in a new Pentecost. If, if the people who are listening could pray that prayer, maybe even daily as part of their, their morning or evening prayer, we, we need that power of the Holy Spirit. None, none of this is going to happen, Patrick, unless the fire of Pentecost is at the heart of our hearts of the parishes, of the leaders who who are trying to implement this. We really count on the Holy Spirit. Also, um, speaking of Lectio Divina, that pastoral letter is rich in in scripture and teachings of the church, uh, papal document and conciliar documents. To do Lectio Divina, the archbishop has made podcasts. You could listen to sections of the pastoral letter while you're driving to work or coming home from work and let let that word go deep as rich as it is go deep because that's going to prepare the fruitfulness of of the active participation that we want from everybody in God's time
0: fantastic Bishop Williams there are so many other things that we could ask you about but I'm afraid we're out of time so before we let you go as always of course if we would if you could give us your blessing please
1: I'll be happy to the Lord be with you
0: and with your spirit and through the
1: intercession of the Holy family, may the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit descend upon you and remain with you forever.
0: Amen. Amen. Yeah, on, very peace. good. Yeah, thanks be to God. And thank you, Bishop Williams, for taking time with us today. God bless you and all you do. We'll be praying for you.
1: You're welcome, Patrick. It's been a pleasure.
0: Stay up to date with Bishop Williams by jumping over to thecatholicspirit.com, where you can read more of his reflections on the year that has just gone by in his Episcopacy. And as always, you can stay up to date with the Synod by going to archsbmorg slash synod. When we return here on Practicing Catholic, Mary Maggie Hangy of the Minnesota Catholic Conference shares about an important opportunity for you to get involved in pro-life advocacy this month. Stay tuned.